We're continuing our summer series in the Psalms. Uh, The Psalms are the songbook of the heart, the hymn book of the Old Testament church. The Psalms are able to give articulation to our hearts that sometimes we can't even comprehend. We understand ourselves better as we read the Psalms, as we learn to pray through the Psalms. And it gives us words to bring to our God. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 17. And this morning, the psalm was going to help us understand how to deal with a heavy heart. If we're all going to be honest this morning, I think we can admit that at times, over the past several months, we've all had to face a heavy heart. This past Friday at 3.18 in the afternoon at the Galleria Mall, there was an active shooter and somehow an eight-year-old boy was killed, others wounded. That gives us a heavy heart, I'm sure. The corona pandemic can easily weigh down our hearts. Isolation, uncertainty about the economy, vocational uncertainty, financial struggles, relational strife, loneliness, and then even among people who are Christians, there's such a wide diversity of response. An opinion. If you wear a mask, you must be afraid. If you're not wearing a mask, it must be because you're standing up for freedom. And the divisiveness grows. This past week, I ran into some more political rancor. I actually heard both sides attack Christians of the other side. I actually heard of a pastor who has declared he will not fellowship with you nor will he pray with you if he finds out you're voting for Trump. On the other side, I've also heard people that plan on voting for Trump articulating that they don't see how anybody could be a Christian who would vote for the other side. Both of those views give me a very heavy heart. We are in a season where we're battling heavy hearts. And when you have a heavy heart, your faith is often sapped, your joy often goes AWOL, and you're not sure what to do. Well, the good news is Psalm 17 gives us a prescription for handling a heavy heart, and the prescription is prayer. The problem is, when you have a heavy heart, you often don't feel like praying. And when you do attempt to pray, you're not sure you could even find the words, let alone your voice. You still have nightmares? 
We think of nightmares as something that children have or younger people have. I'm 60 and I still have nightmares. I'll still have a nightmare where someone's coming after my family and I can tell that they're really evil and I'm trying to to keep my family safe and get us to where we need to go where we're out of harm's reach. I still have nightmares where I show up on a Sunday morning and as I stand up here, I realize, oops, I forgot to prepare. I have nightmares where I do come, I am prepared, I do preach, and everybody gets up and leaves. But I'll never forget a nightmare that I had when I was young, maybe four or five. It impressed me so much, I I often wonder whether it's one I had multiple times, but I know I had it. In this nightmare, I actually wake up in my nightmare. So I forget that I'm actually in a dream. And since it seems that I'm awake, even though I'm in a dream, I call out for my mom and dad. But as I call out mom and dad, my mind hears something, but there's nothing coming out of my mouth. There's, there's no noise. There's no words. There's no sound. So then I begin to feel some panic, and I try to scream, Mom, Dad, and I hear the scream in my mind, but again, there's no sound coming out. Imagine a four-year-old, five-year-old waking up from that kind of nightmare. But I've found that for even those who are awake, Sometimes we experience that nightmare in our spiritual lives. Our hearts are so heavy, it seems like we've lost our voice. We want to pray, but no words come out. In Psalm 17, David is facing a heavy heart. We're not sure what the circumstances are, what the situation is. It could be that it was a heavy heart he was experiencing as he was fleeing from Saul, the king, whom David was supposed to replace. But Saul was trying to put him to death. And David was looking for words to unload his heavy heart to God. It could be the heavy heart that David experienced when his own son, Absalom, Force David to flee Jerusalem and run for his life. We're not sure of the circumstances, but we know it's a time when David had a heavy heart. And he took God's prescription, which was prayer, to unload the burden of his heart. And even though at times he may have feared living a nightmare where he had no voice, he pressed on. God took his burden and his joy was restored. And learning from David's prayer this morning, our hearts can become unburdened as we cast our cares upon God. And he can and will restore our joy. We'll find our voice and we'll make an impact among other people who currently are heavy hearted as well.
Let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. And I'm going to read Psalm 17. Now, I want you to pay particular attention to some of the things that David says about himself. And then consider whether you feel you could speak those words to God. Psalm 17, a prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children. And they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us. He wants us to unload the heaviness of our hearts on Him. He wants us to wake up from the nightmare of fearing we don't have a voice before Him. And He wants us to share the good news of a lightened heart with others. Let's pray. Father, we do ask as many of us have experienced a heavy heart as of late, that you would teach us how to unload our burdens today. That you would enable us to wake up from the nightmare of fearing we have no voice. Lord, teach us principles that give us boldness and confidence in prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. So learning to pray with confidence to unload the burdens of our heavy heart is what this psalm is all about. Three ways we learn to pray boldly, even when wrestling with a heavy heart. First, keep waltzing. If 
You have been at Oak Mountain for long. You know that waltzing is a tool that we use to help us continue to live in intimacy with Jesus Christ. Waltzing is a tool we use that helps us be assured that we're abiding in Christ. Waltzing is a tool we use to help us understand what it means to walk in the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. For those of you who may be watching who aren't familiar with the waltz, the waltz is a three-step dance. It's to a three-beat one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And the waltz for the Christian is repent, believe, fight. Acknowledge our sin. Ask God for forgiveness and the power to overcome it. Move from repent to believe. Trust the gospel truths afresh. Rest in God's unconditional love. Trust in the supernatural power of transforming grace. And then, confident of the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, choose to pursue new obedience and discipleship by fighting against sin and striving for righteousness by the power of grace. Now I ask you to pay particular attention as I read David's prayer. Did you notice those lines that sort of make you feel uncomfortable? Like, I don't think I could say that. I mean, listen to some of the things he says. Hear a just cause, O Lord. In other words, hear my righteous plea as an innocent man who walks in the land of the wicked. That almost sounds self-righteous, doesn't it? Second part of verse 1. Give ear to my prayer from lips free from deceit. In other words, prayer from honest lips who only speak truth. Can you say that? I can't always say that. Verse 2, from your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. But I'm not always in the right. I blow it all the time. Look at verse 3. You have tried my heart. You have tested me. You will find nothing. Seriously? I can't go five minutes and, and think like that. Verse 3, I've purposed my mouth to not transgress. I have avoided the way of the violent. I, my steps have held fast to your paths. I don't always do that, do you? How can David pray these things? If this is what it means to pray confidently, then I'm in trouble. I'm more heavy-hearted now after reading David's prayer at least reading it according to my own interpretation. You see, people, when David says, hear my just cause, hear me as a righteous person who is innocent, who lives in the land of the wicked, hear my prayer from honest lips who always speak truth, you have tried me, and you know as you've tested me, you'll find nothing wrong. David's not saying he's sinless. He's not trying to fool God that he's got it all together. 
You need to understand that when the Old Testament Hebrew talks about blamelessness or righteousness or innocence before God, it's not talking about perfection. It's not talking about sinlessness. Quite the contrary. It's talking about someone who's a broken sinner who recognizes they're a broken sinner. And they're hearing the waltz music. Situations, circumstances, relationships that are bubbling up and exposing their sin. And as they become aware of their sin, whether it's thought or actions or words of the tongue, they immediately repent. They agree with God that their thoughts, words, or deeds are evil. And hoping in the unconditional love and grace of God, Old Testament church people look forward to Christ. We look back to the cross. You believe the gospel afresh. David knew he was innocent before God, not because he was sinless, not because he was perfect. David knew he was blameless, not because he'd done nothing wrong but because he knew that as far as the east is from the west, if he repented of his sin and trusted in God's grace and mercy, that he was blameless before God. And you could have confidence before God that he wasn't going to experience the nightmare of losing his voice before God. And when David says that he set his life according to the paths of God, it doesn't mean that he never stumbled. It means when he stumbled, he repented and he believed the gospel afresh and he got up and kept pursuing God, trusting in fresh grace. Now, folks, that's a prescription all of us can swallow. You ever gone before God in prayer and you just thought, I'm too unworthy. God's not going to hear me. Or you're so heavy hearted and disheartened that you have no faith. God's not going to hear. And David says, I've been like that too. And join me as a fellow waltzer. Repent of your lack of repentance. Repent of your lack of faith. Just admit it. Don't try to hide it. And believe the truths of the gospel that God justifies and makes right with himself the ungodly and then set your heart on new obedience by the grace of God. Keep waltzing. You know, I've lost my voice several times in 60 years and even times when I've been the preacher at this church. Sometimes it's because of a cold. Sometimes it's because of the flu. Sometimes it's because I yelled too loud at a Penn State football game. Sometimes it's because I sang so long at a U2 concert. 
And I'm sure you've lost your voice at times as well. And one of the things we all know from losing our voice is it's almost always temporary. It comes back. I've lost my voice at times in prayer. Sometimes because of my sin. Sometimes because of my unbelief. Sometimes because I'm heavy-hearted and disheartened. And I begin to sense the nightmare of calling out for Father. And I hear it in my mind, but it doesn't seem like there's anything on my lips. As we keep waltzing, we can be assured that that nightmare is just a dream. And the reality is, God declares us as innocent, righteous, blameless, as if our lips had no deceit, as if we had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient to us. You see, that's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It means you get your innocence from Jesus. You get your blamelessness from Jesus. You get your righteousness from Jesus. And even as you walk daily, imperfection and sin doesn't destroy your voice. As you waltz and repent and believe and strive after new obedience, your confidence will soar, your burden will be unloaded, and you'll begin to pray in such a way that your life will be different. Keep waltzing. Secondly, stay focused. Stay focused on God's heart. First, toward you. Look at verse 7. David prays with a heavy heart, wondrously show your steadfast love. And what he means, of course, is to me. Now, the word steadfast love, chesed, is the Old Testament Hebrew word for grace. David is saying, God, you're a gracious God, but show it to me. Now, what's interesting about verse 7 in Psalm 17 is it's word for word from Exodus 15. The song that Moses sings after God had delivered the people of Israel from Pharaoh and Egypt through the Red Sea. God, you've wondrously shown your steadfast love. You're the Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. And what David is saying in the midst of his heavy-heartedness is, God, show me your grace the way you showed Israel at the Red Sea. The way Israel experienced your chesed, your grace, I want to experience it that way. David's saying, I don't want grace to be just a subject, a topic, a theory. You know, sometimes when you hear people talk about grace, or maybe even when I preach about grace, do you slip into feeling a little bit like a student in Charlie Brown's class? Remember Charlie Brown's teacher? She never spoke any words. 
All she did was make sounds. And Charlie Brown and the rest of the students, this is what they heard. Whoop, 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 whoop. And I think sometimes when we hear grace, that's what we hear. And David is saying, I don't want to hear wop, 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 wop. I want to experience grace. I want to see grace. I want to feel grace. I want grace to be real in my life. God, show me your steadfast love. And not just show me, wondrously show me your steadfast love. And then he, he's also focused on the nature of God's heart as a Savior. It is God's nature to save. It is God's delight and longing to deliver. And when we're heavy-hearted, we need to stay focused on God's heart. Spurgeon, commenting on this passage, Charles Spurgeon said this, We have more to fear that we won't hear God than from fearing God won't hear us. Imagine that. We need to fear more that we won't hear God than we ever need to fear that He won't hear us. As a matter of fact, God longs to hear you in prayer more than you long for God to hear you. God more longs to hear you pray than you long for God to hear you. And as we begin to believe that and stay focused on God's heart, that that is His posture toward us, we will find our voice again. But not only do we need to stay focused on God's heart toward us in Christ, we also need to stay focused on God's heart toward evil, God's heart toward our enemies. Look at verses 9 through 12. It, it all talks about how God opposes our enemies. And of course, 1 Peter 5, James 4, what does it say? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. As we humble ourselves and admit that we're heavy-hearted and admit that we have deceitful lips and admit that we don't always stick to God's paths, as we admit our unbelief, all that through waltzing, that is a humility that God adores. And He runs so quickly to deliver the humble from the arrogant, the proud, the rebellious. Verse 11, they have now surrounded our steps. They've set their eyes to cast us to the ground like a predator encircling its prey. So evil hunts us. The nightmare is real. When you ever dream that somebody's after you and have that kind of a nightmare and you wake up, it's true. You are hunted by a predator all the time. And he is bent on your destruction. 
But the good news is, God despises him and is for you. Look at verse 12. Our enemy is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. That's exactly what 1 Peter says, isn't it? 1 Peter 5. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, focused on God's heart. And then it says, cast your cares, your burdens, your heavy-heartedness on God. Because he cares for you. He opposes your enemies, but he cares for you. He opposes the evil that hunts you, but he cares for you. And that's why David finds his voice in verse 13 and says, Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Westminster Catechism, the first question we read this morning, the one from last week. How does Christ execute the office of king? Christ executes the office of king by ruling and subduing over our hearts and by restraining, subduing, and conquering all his and our enemies. Stay focused on God's heart. His love for you, His grace for you, His chesed for you, and that He delights in delivering you. I shared this story before. It's one of my favorites. Uh, Brennan Manning, uh, in his book, The Wisdom of Tenderness, tells the story about a pastor from Detroit, Michigan, whose name was Edward Farrell. Now, Edward Farrell had an uncle. It was his favorite family member, but this uncle lived in southwest Ireland. And Ed Farrell decided to surprise his uncle Seamus to be there for his 80th birthday on Lake Killarney in County Kerry. So he made it to Ireland, and the celebrative day came. And before dawn, Seamus and Ed woke up in silence got dressed in silence, and walked to the shores of Lake Killarney in silence. And as they got to the shore of the lake, the sun began to rise over the water. And for 20 minutes, Uncle Shamish just stared at the sunrise. Soon, Ed noticed that tears were streaming down Uncle Shamish's face. And then, suddenly, like a five-year-old, Uncle Seamus started skipping and hopping down the beach. When Ed finally caught up to Uncle Seamus, he says, Uncle Seamus, what's going on? You seem so happy. What are you thinking? And Uncle Seamus, with more tears streaming down his face, said, Eddie, my boy, my father is very fond of me. Yes, my lad, my father is so very fond of me. You believe that, and it will lift the burdens of your heavy heart. You believe that. And the nightmare of not having a voice will explode. 
and you'll carry your heavy heart to God, He will lighten the load, restore your faith, increase your joy, and release you to minister to others with heavy hearts as well. Keep waltzing, stay focused, and thirdly and finally, remain hopeful. We're to stay focused on God's heart toward us and toward our enemies, but we're to remain hopeful in our position before God in Christ, in our identity in Christ, in our standing and status in Christ. If you will, this is one whole point on the believe step of the waltz. Look at verse 8. David says, keep me as the apple of of your eye. Now, literally what that says in the Hebrew is the daughter of your eye. Literally what it's talking about is the pupil of your eye. So what it's talking about is the most sensitive part of your eye. And the metaphor is the apple of your eye is that which your eye sees that it most cherishes. cherishes. It's the most treasured possession of the heart that is the apple of one's eye. And David remains hopeful because he remembers that he is the apple of God's eye. Now David is simply quoting Moses again. In Deuteronomy 32, as Moses describes again what happened at the Red Sea when he delivered Israel from the hand of Pharaoh, Moses rehearses the treasured standing of Israel. And he says, He, God, encircled him, the Old Testament church. He, God, cared for him, the Old Testament church. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Do you see yourself as the apple of God's eye? Or perhaps do you see other people as the apple of God's eye, but not yourself? If you know Christ, you have the same standing as David and anyone else in Christ. Even with a heavy heart, you remain the apple of God's eye. Zechariah 2.8, he who touches you touches the apple of his eye, touches the most cherished sight in the heart of God. Think about that. Don't let this be words. Don't let this be just theology. Cry out to God. Show me your steadfast love. Show me. Let me experience at the depth of my being that I, Bob Flayhart, I am the apple of your eye. Now, other people are too, but I am. You believe that, it'll begin to lift the heaviness off your heart. And then he shifts metaphors. He goes from the apple of the eye to the shadow of God's wings. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence. Here again, what's interesting, and this is exactly what Moses says in Deuteronomy 32, after he talks about the Old Testament church being the apple of God's eye, then he talks about the Old Testament church in the very next part of the verse as being hidden under the wings of God like an eagle 
covers its young with its wings. Lori and I just uh, got back from uh, Colorado. We visited our fourth grandchild in six months. Our fourth, like, we had four grandchildren in six months. And uh, we, we met uh, Nolan, who is Hannah and Kevin's uh, newborn son. And while we were staying there, uh, we had gone for a hike, and uh, we got back to the backyard, and there was a bird. It was an ugly bird. I don't know what it was. It was like crow or something. But, but it had fallen out of its nest. It was, it was a baby, but it didn't look like a baby. It was huge. It was this big, ugly raven of some kind. But our hearts went out to it. I mean, it was injured. It couldn't fly. And we noticed that the mama bird was really upset, flying around it, making noises. And as we continued to watch, about every five minutes, this big, ugly mama raven brought food to the little, ugly, big baby raven. And I noticed that my wife, Lori, she began going out about every 15 minutes to check on this bird. It was an ugly bird. And then uh, Kevin and Hannah have a, a golden retriever that Laurie uh, bred for them. And uh, we, we protected the bird from the golden retriever becoming too inquisitive. And, and then I noticed Hannah and Kevin and even myself, we started going out to check on this bird. And then Lori, because it got a cold rain one afternoon, she got a Tupperware box and put a stick in the ground and... and, and put the Tupperware box on a cover and protected the bird from the cold and the rain. Now, this is a stupid bird. It's not even a good-looking bird. It's an ugly bird. And yet there's this whole fellowship aligning itself to protect this bird. Why? Because it was an eagle or a hawk? No, it was a crow or a raven. Who cares? God does. God says not a sparrow falls from its nest apart from God's concern. And are you not of so much more value than sparrows? David, in his heavy-heartedness, fought through the nightmarish fear of thinking he had no voice and kept waltzing and stayed focused on God's heart toward him and toward his enemies and remained hopeful in his position in Christ that he was the apple of God's eye and that God seen metaphorically as a giant bird when we fall out of the nest and feel overwhelmed comes constantly to protect us to provide for us and oh by the way after two days that little ugly bird flew away and we never saw it again. We can remain hopeful not just today, not just tomorrow, but every day. Look at verse 15. 
As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. That's not self-righteousness, folks. That's confidence in God. That's Christ confidence. That's gospel confidence. That's not self-confidence. And if you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that's your confidence as well. But not just for today and tomorrow or all the days of our lives. But look at the last part of verse 15. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Scholars tell us that David is speaking of eternity. He's speaking of the resurrection. David, with a heavy heart, is thinking much of heaven. You think much of heaven, and the burdens of your heart will be lifted. Because, you know, no matter how heavy-hearted we are, this is just temporary. As Paul calls it, it's momentary light affliction. It may not feel that way. But in comparison with the new Jerusalem, will there be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, no more heavy-heartedness, no more enemies. This is just momentary light affliction. Think much of heaven, and your heart will be unburdened, and you'll find your voice before God in prayer. Keep waltzing. Repent believe, fight. Stay focused on God's heart of love and remain hopeful that you, if you know Christ, are the apple of God's eye. And again, other people are too. But you are. So right now, with a heavy heart, don't worry about who other people are before God. Be consumed for once. That you, you who know Christ, are the apple of God's eye. And he hides you under the shadow of his wings. And you will awake one day from this nightmarish, broken, fallen, wicked world. And you will behold God in his righteousness. And as 1 John 3 says... When we see Him, we shall become like Him for all eternity. And that ought to lighten your load. Let's pray. Father, we can read these words about David in his heavy heart. But sometimes it doesn't work so well for us. And so, God, wherever we are, hopeless, despairing, despondent, disheartened, enable us to waltz. Enable us to stay focused on your heart toward us and toward our enemies. And enable us to remain hopeful in our position in Christ. God, if there's anybody here today or anybody watching through the live stream that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, might today be the day they recognize they can become the apple of your eye by transferring their trust from themselves, their own confidence, their own righteousness, which is nothing but filthy rags anyway, and put their hope in the finished work of Christ. And God, we do ask in the midst of the turmoil of this world, O Jesus, Maranatha, come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen.